Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by Matt Eddy at EddyMK. Did I get that right? That is correct. Sometimes I have a Twitter. hard time typing in your Twitter handle for some reason. I want to start off with that, with Matt Eddy, but uh, I'm at John Manuel BA. We're at Baseball America, and uh, thanks for all the follows on Twitter for all of us. We've got an exciting event coming up tomorrow at Baseball America. We're going to uh, experiment with a Google Hangout. If you're on, if you have a Gmail address, if you have a, if you have a Google account, you can join us in the Baseball America Google Plus Hangout. Uh, we will tweet out that time. I'm bl- tentatively, we're sticking for Thursday at noon tomorrow. Mm. We're recording this on Wednesday. We're going to try to do a little Rule 5 video, kind of a Rule 5 roundtable, I guess you'd say television show, but we're doing it, streaming it online at the Google Plus Hangout. You can participate in that. Just uh, sign in with your Google, with your Gmail account at noon tomorrow, uh, Eastern Time. Join the Hangout. Ask us questions. We will answer them. And we'll uh, get our Rule 5 nerd schwerve on tomorrow in the Google Plus Hangout, which I think we're all excited slash scared about. So that's, that'll be fun. Yeah, we're going to lead off with the double-A phase, so. <laughs> that's right, so wait till later. Double-A phase? I hadn't even thought about that. I, w- I will participate in a minor league phase part of the podcast with you if you want, if you desire. If I can finish writing my other 11 to 30s. But uh, bringing Matt Eddy into this one, because, Matt, you did the the, uh, Texas Rangers top 30 this year. You have done the Angels top 30 in the past, and you've done the Mariners. And the Mariners. So you're something of an American League West expert. This was my maiden voyage in the American League Uh, West. i got to tell you, West is the best. Oh, it's not my maiden maiden voyage. I did the Rangers back in the day, a couple times, actually, Uh, back when Mark Teixeira was their number one prospect. And Drew Meyer was number two. I don't think I ever ranked him that high. Was he ever number two? I don't know. I hope not. Um, boy, Drew Meyer, I loved him in college, I will say. I, I do remember when he got drafted 10th overall being shocked, shocked, I say, that he was drafted that high. But there was the one year where so, another member of the staff was started to do the top 30, talked to Grady Fuson when he was farm director and scouting director for two and a half hours, and then said, oh, I can't do this. Uh, here are my notes. See ya. I'm out. So I had to do the t- I had to write it. And uh, did not get to report it. That was not fun. I did. I had to do the rest of the reporting. Grady is a great quote. I got to say, from from our years of of uh, commiserating with him for the Padres, we miss uh, we miss Grady. Uh, you know, he, his days with the Athletics, his days with the Rangers. Um, I, I do think uh, I always enjoyed arguing pitching with Grady because I didn't see things the way Grady saw it. And his track record is better than mine. He did draft Barry Zito and Tim Hudson and uh, Mark Mulder. But I never had a first-round pick either, Matt. So <laughs> we'll see. How, we'll see. Somebody's got to give me a first-rounder one year. <laughs> one of these years. Let me put that dollar sign on the muscle. Uh, but we're going to talk American League uh, West top ten. And Matt had a novel idea, um, which I think uh, we're going to kick off the podcast with. And uh, and that is to first the pre- the start of the premise is Matt. There are three very good farm systems in the American League West, and there are two not so much. I would say that. It helps that two of the not-so-much farm systems both graduated a ton of talent with the major leagues this year in, in, in the last couple of years. First, we're looking at the LA Angels of Anaheim, 
and you can't graduate more talent than they did just in one man in Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, but the graduation of Mike Trout has left that farm system. I mean, that's the way you want to do it. If you want to have a thin farm system, it's because you won 90 games in the major league level or 89 games. You'd rather that you made the playoffs, but and they won 89 games at the major league level, and Mike Trout was ridiculous. And they traded away Gene Segura. Right. And Johnny, Johnny Helweg. Helweg. Two top ten guys. Ariel Pena would have made this ten. Yeah, no and, doubt. I mean, Segura could have been number one, either he or Caleb Cowart. You know, it's take your pick. But Yep, I agree. I, I, I would probably take Cowart over Segura, but it's it's pretty close. And I, I know you are a big John Segura fan. You're pretty yeah. convicted this is going to be the second baseman. Mm-hmm. And you think he can play short, too, right? Uh, so, capably, yeah. Yeah, he's not. He might be the kind of shortstop where you're looking for someone better eventually, but in the short term, if this guy stays on top of things, it should be an average defender. Yeah, and if he hits, he can play third base. He's got a great arm. You know, he's, he's quick twitch, strong. I like quick I twitch. Like him. I like power speed guys. He seems like he checks those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not in their system. Caleb Coward, uh, Caleb Cowart, and then a lot of guys where you're really wondering is their number two prospect a left-handed reliever? <laughs> you know, and Nick Morande. And then you have the Athletics, who, again, uh, graduated a ton to the major leagues. And it was all, and they also won the division, which is not insignificant. Uh, an amazing story. And Matt, whenever I think of the Athletics farm system, I just can't help but I have to mention this, but they protected Michael Lanoa on their 40-man roster. They that protected this guy? Me. That's right. He wants to be their 40-man roster salesman? Anyway. I was shocked that they protected Michael Anoa. We aren't going to talk about this in the Google Hangout, but how surprised were you that they protected Michael Anoa? Well, you got the, only, the the thing that makes the most sense to me is just uh, that they didn't want to do anything to upset his level of confidence that he has. Like, you know, for example, he gets Rule Five if he does. He's not going to stick. I think everybody realizes this, but perhaps it would be a blow to his his confidence level, thinking that the A's were not 100% believers anymore. That's po- I think that's very possible. What is your theory? My theory is that the organization spent four and a quarter million dollars on him, and they want to protect their investment. Whether they're protecting their investment in him and keeping him so he doesn't blossom elsewhere, or by protecting their investment and and covering their own selves in protecting him and making that case that yes, he is still we still believe in him as that guy. I actually think, and I only have one piece of recent evidence that makes me think this. Was George Contos ever Rule 5? I can't remember yes. if he was. So he was Rule 5 that Padres he returned. Did. Yeah. And the Padres, maybe the, the, the key is to get Rule 5 by the Padres. Because I'm thinking <laughs> of George Contos, and I'm thinking of Ivan Nova. Yep. There's two Yankees prospects who were Rule 5 by another club, didn't stick. But I thought that experience benefited both of them, especially Ivan Nova, where he's like, hey, I do have this stuff. To be, to belong in big league camp, he didn't have the experience to know what to do with the stuff, but he did have the stuff. His career really turned around at that point. He was a raw guy who had flashed three plus pitches, but had never put them together with any consistency. We'd already ranked him previously in the Yankees top 30 um, yeah, when he was in Low A. Um, I thought that that bit of getting Rule Five actually helped his confidence level, but the A's certainly know Michael Anoa's. Uh, my, uh, mind and his mental, uh, you know, makeup better than I do. Yeah. So they know how it would affect his confidence. But I do think there's a flip side argument to that that maybe mm-hmm. getting Rule Five would have helped him. And the counterpoint would be Michael Gardner, right? Another yeah. former, another <laughs> former Yankees drafted by the Padres. Sure, sure. Michael Gardner, famously, or Zach Kronke. And, and They've had a lot of Yankees uh, pitchers who've gotten Rule People Five. People are seeing Trenton really good. That's the new market inefficiency. Rule, <laughs> fi- rule Five, a Yankee pitcher. Uh, and you know, perhaps with the A's, they don't want to disrupt Anoa's rehab program too. Who knows? 
That's very, there's a lot going on with that guy. That's a great point. But the but the A's top ten. Uh, but when you you know they didn't graduate, they didn't lose uh, uh, Straley, but they did lose uh, quite a few guys. Uh, and A.J. Griffin, uh, who was very very good for them in the big leagues, they had a lot of rookie pitchers, obviously in the big leagues, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that thins the the herd a bit for them. Um, but never a good sign, I don't think, when you have a lot of draft guys instantly in your top ten, unless you picked really high, like the mm-hmm. Astros. So what we decided to do, though, with these other three more interesting top 30s, top 10, I should say, is we took their top 10s, and we're slicing off the top guy. We're not going to consider uh, Jurickson Profar, who would be the first pick in pretty much any prospect draft, I think. We're not going to consider Mike Zanino, who in my mind is the best catcher in the minors, best catching prospect in the game. And we're not going to consider uh, Carlos Correa, who was the first overall pick in the draft, not because, uh, and, and you know, he's not—he wasn't even a uh, slam dunk um, number one for the Astros. But we're not going to consider those three guys. We are going to consider um, the rest of their top tens. We're basically going to do a draft, mm-hmm. uh, Matt, of the rest of these top tens. This was your, what, made, what made you think of this idea? What made you think this? Would, what, what's the purpose of this exercise for you? Uh, to try to determine. Who has more talent, the Rangers or the Mariners? I had kind of a, a friendly wager with um, Connor Glassy, over BA which, staffer, over which system had more high uh, up, upper level talent. And he and he did do the Mariners organization. I'm an, I didn't realize that a that a wager, a friendly one, friendly was at the uh, root of this. But I'm gonna, I, I guess uh, maybe I'm going to look for a kickback from Connor but, now because I, you I, you gave me seniority. You can let me pick first. Yeah, the other issue was, you know, whoever picks first and third is going to win the draft because they're going to get two of Profar, Correa, and Zunino. So. Right, right. So we cut, we cut them right off. Out. That's, I, that, that's a great point. Well, I, I think there's, you know, the three number two prospects are in play here for me at this top pick, and Jonathan Singleton, Mike Olt, Tawan Walker. And I went for Tawan Walker, even though I did, uh, you know, I did contribute some to our Southern League coverage this year because I messed up the assignment of that, and <laughs> we got that done a little bit later than the other to- league top 20s this year. So I did some Southern League calls um, to help our correspondent uh, Teddy Cahill on that. And uh, one of the scouts I talked to he saw the stuff out of Tawan Walker. He thought that he didn't see it consistently enough, and his qu- his question on Tawan Walker was, how did Ty- how is Tawan Walker going to pitch when he doesn't have his best stuff? The answer at age 20 was not that well. When he didn't have his A game, he didn't know how to fight through that. That said, I still like his A game better than I like Mike Olt's A game or Jonathan Singleton's A game. And to me, I think it's a function of maturing and, and getting older and knowing what, knowing how to pitch without your best stuff. I think that's something that you can learn. But the bottom line was I, I feel like there's a, also that maturity issue. I have held him back a little bit when he showed up on the same pitching staff with a Danny Holton the Carter Caps, the Stephen Pryor, James Paxton, other guys with stuff where Tawan Walker wasn't miles away the number one pitcher on that pitching staff. I feel like he didn't respond to that challenge particularly well, but I'm going to chalk that up to being 19, 20 years old and being in double-A when in a normal organization where your high-A team isn't in high desert, you would have just sent him to high class A. So um, I think it's very close, but I went with Tawan Walker as the first pick the in pick. the uh, Mariners, uh, Astros, uh, Mariners, Astros, Rangers draft. <laughs> so yes, uh, David Stern can uh, leave the dais now at the front <laughs> of the uh, convention hall. Who, who are you taking with the second pick between these? Uh, as we draft the top ten of prospects from these three loaded organizations. 
Well, uh, as you mentioned, it's it's between Olt and Singleton, the number twos for the uh, two Texas teams. I think I'm going to betray my Rangers, uh, and I think I'm going to take Singleton uh, because I think he's a future number three hitter. I love the the patience, and I think the power will continue to blossom. You know, uh, uh, later this week uh, at BaseballAmerica.com, again, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday, I believe it actually will be tomorrow that our Arizona Fall League Top 20 drops. And I was editing that before we started the podcast this morning, and Peter Wardell's write-up of uh, you know, Jonathan Singleton in the Arizona Fall League is pretty encouraging. He may not have much defensive value. Like he's, I think Mike Old has more defensive value. Yeah, Old is a, a 60 you know, conservative defender. So I, you know, I'm passing up on that to get the sure thing bat, in my yeah. opinion. And I, and I agree with you. I think that Singleton is a more of a sure thing bat. I think you could, you could definitely argue Old, and I would have taken Old. I'll take Old with the third pick because I do believe that the bat is there. I have always had these questions talking to scouts in the Northeast when he was drafted. There were some questions about his eyesight. Uh, he does seem like he's rectified that, but I always feel like he's going to have more swing and miss and fewer walks and I think a little less power than Singleton. But like you said, I think there's much more of a chance of Jonathan Singleton being a three-hole hitter than there is of Mike Olt. In my mind, Mike Olt's like a five- or six-hole guy. And I guess my question on Jonathan Singleton is, is he going to be an elite first baseman or is he going to be a very good Produ- it's a much higher bar. It is a much higher bar. That said, you know, who are the elite first basemen in the major leagues? Joey Votto. Well, in the National League, yeah, it's Votto and... And that's it. And then who is it? I, I, Mike I Davis? <laughs> I mean, I think you would you would assume that Ryan Howard, if he's healthy, would do that, but he hasn't done that in three or four years. You know, I don't feel like he's elite anymore. Or maybe Buster it, Posey when he it, plays first? Yeah, or is Adrian Gonzalez, is he going to become that guy again with the Los Angeles Dodgers? That's not a given. And then so. who are the elite guys of the American League? Pujols, Pujols Fielder, Fielder, Cabrera. <laughs> if, yeah, exactly. Should be should be Miguel Cabrera. But is it Mark Teixeira anymore? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, who is it? Who are so? I I think that there's this myth of the elite first baseman, but I don't think it exists that much anymore. I think there's a very smaller a smaller group of elite first baseman. Justin Morneau's not in that group anymore. Mark Teixeira is not in that group anymore. The Red Sox don't have that. The Blue Jays don't. Uh, the, the Orioles don't. I mean, I'm just thinking, going through, I mean, like, Eric Hosmer, is he going to be that guy? He certainly wasn't close to it in 2000, uh, 2012. I, I think that there's this belief that there's elite first baseman. I think Jonathan Singleton has a chance to be pretty close to it. Yeah. In fact, I think what I'm saying is the bar is coming down for elite first baseman, and Jonathan Singleton could be in that next wave of guys who are elite. Yeah, I mean, the, the depressed defensive levels we're seeing in Major League Baseball have hit. These hitter positions harder than anywhere else. First base, left field. Right, you're you know, right. Those bars have come down further than any other position. And this is a guy who consistently hits for average, consistently draws walks, consistently hits for power. He was just 20 years old. And he gets better. Like The second half was better than his first. What you're making me His double-A season was better than... If I had the second pick, maybe I would have taken Singleton instead of Holt. But so right now, I ended up with Tawan Walker. So we're drafting players from these three organizations. We've got Walker, Singleton, Holt. I think I agree with you. Now the fourth pick's tough too. They're all they're all pretty tough because all these players are I know. I think you won similar. the draft already, but okay. <laughs> I mean, to me, this comes down to uh, the, the lefties who are number three for the Mariners and Rangers. Uh, that would be Danny Holtson and Martin Perez. Uh, I think I would take Holtson here. Just, you know, Perez's stuff is more electric, but I think Holtson has a better idea how to use what he has, despite that walk, unsightly walk rate this year. That was really 
vexing. I, I don't. I haven't gotten a good explanation on that. I don't think we have uh, from any scouts of why he walks so many guys. And again, this is a guy I talked about. Uh, talked to some scouts about in the Southern League. I'm really trying hard not to break out my Neil Young impersonation. <laughs> um, everyone in the office is tired of it after 16 years. But I think every time I've said Southern League in the last 16 <laughs> years, sometime in the conversation. I've busted out with a with a Neil Young. You've probably heard from nineteen sixty from nineteen seventy one. Is that how old that song is? Yeah, early seventies. Maybe wow. seventy. But uh I think I, I would definitely take Holton to me over Paxton. And I would take him over oh, yeah. Perez. I, I agree with you, I would take him over those guys. And and to me I do think he's gonna throw strikes. Uh I that's his that's been his MO. Mm-hmm. And you know, PCL <clears throat> hitters, triple A hitters, we've seen it here in Durham over the years. I know it's a little bit more it's a little more offensive obviously in the PCL, but I still think the it's the same kind of hitter in that it's a polished hitter. It's a veteran hitter. It's a guy who's seen a lot of professional baseball, and it's a hitter who's not going to chase. You're going to have to get swings and misses in the strike zone. And I believe in the quality of Danny Holton's stuff. I believe in the fastball velocity. I believe in the change. I like the breaking ball. I buy the crossfire delivery. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in on Danny Holton. I'm not in that he was the second-best player in the 2011 draft like the Mariners thought, but I am in on him, and I think he will make that adjustment. That he's gonna, and he has the quality of stuff to pitch in the strike zone and to get more swings and misses in the strike zone, and not, you know, learn how to get hitters to chase. Whereas in college and in Double A, even it's it's a lot easier to get hitters to chase out of the zone. That's so. the same barrier Perez is trying to break through as well. Right. That's yeah, but his command point. just isn't as good in, in, at this stage. Well, you're going to get a chance as we move on to the fifth pick. You're going to get a chance to to still get Martin Perez because I'm right. not taking him with the fifth pick. I'm a believer in George Springer. George. And I'm gonna. I guess I'm trying to. If Nick Ahmed, if only Nick Ahmed and uh, L.J. Mazzilli were available, I try to get the old band back together and Matt Barnes and get the UConn Huskies of 2011 together. Who I will remind people, Aaron Fit and I picked the UConn Huskies to go into South Carolina and beat the defending national champions on their ball on their field because we believe that strongly in UConn's talent. I'll also remind people that, of course, we were wrong about that. I will remind people also that in 2011, in, in Aaron Fit's preseason. A trademarked fit matrix where he breaks down all like, like 40 college baseball teams across a variety of tools categories and, and talent categories and grades them on a 20 to 80, not a scouting scale, but a 20 to 80 scale of uh, if you have the best offense in, co- in college baseball, you're an 80. And he breaks them down on that scale and then averages it all out, produces an OFP for every team. He had UConn second in 2011 coming into the year only after Florida and this is the Florida team that has all these players now mm-hmm. pro ball. Went to Omaha three years in a row. But, again, South Carolina, from that perspective, is the intangibles is the hardest thing to qualify, quantify there. And I think we've always underrated South Carolina's talent, but only a hair. And we always were a little – we, didn't, uh, uh, we uh, didn't account enough for their intangibles. But um, we thought UConn was ridiculously talented. And I think George Springer was the best player on that 2011 team, which did not have old. He'd gone out the year before. Mm-hmm. But um, – to me, George Springer uh, has a chance to be a Matt Kemp type. He has a chance to be the, the, the prototype power speed outfielder you look for. I, I downgrade him a little bit because he's already he's 23, and he does have incredible high swing and strikeout totals. But he's progressed. He's made progression there. I think he's always going to be a 150 strikeout guy. But to me, this is going to be a guy who's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs in the major leagues. He's going to have some 30 home run seasons. He's good enough defensively to play center field. He'd be an outstanding right fielder. I just think those guys are hard to find. So I'm taking George Springer with the third pick in my draft, giving me a top ten so far of Walker Old Springer. 
What do you feel about the, my George Springer pick? Was he lower down your list? A little bit. Uh, I, I like the, some of the pitchers we're looking at a little bit better. But, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic on Springer. I mean, obviously, that level of, of athleticism is not available. Right? Yeah, it's just that it's hard to find. But the, the level of strike, swing, and miss, easier to find. Easier to find. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. So uh, now we're on to Matt Eddy, who you've already got, Jonathan Singleton and Danny Holton. I'm looking here at some of the, uh, the, the two lefties, and Lance McCullers Jr. to an extent, but more so at Martin Perez and uh, James Paxton. Uh, here I think I'm going to go with the Rangers and take Martin Perez. I think the quality of his slider and changeup, you know, at his best he's 360 pitches. He just needs to find a way to sequence them better and locate them better, and I think he will be mid-rotation starter. I think it's one of the biggest challenges for any player development staff. And doing, You and I are the two guys who do three top 30s, so we have talked to a lot of player development people and scouts over the last couple months. And it seems like one of the biggest questions, when I'm done asking about a player, basically, the last thing I ask is, so where's this guy going to go next year? What level is this guy going to go to? And depending on the person in the organization, that's one of the tougher questions they have to answer. Some of them are easy progressions. Mm -hmm. But in certain organizations, especially, Matt, you get guys who they really can't agree on it. And like with the Twins, I'm wrapping up the Twins. You know, they took Levi Michael, a guy that skipped his high school senior year. People who've listened to the last two podcasts are tired of hearing about Levi Michael. (laughs) But he skipped his high school senior year. He was a 20-year-old college junior. And then he had these leg injuries and these lower half injuries. And they still put him in the Florida State League because they thought he was polished enough for that. And he was polished enough to hold his own without any explosiveness or burst physically. But, you know, the Rangers are an aggressive organization. They put guys who are young for their level all the time. And they're not afraid to promote guys midseason either. What's been their rationale? I know this was your first year of doing the organization, but what was their rationale for having had Martin Perez you know, push so aggressively? He really hasn't had success above low Class A. He's pitched the last basically two years mm-hmm. in AA and AAA. At what point do, do you stop kind of making the excuse that he's young for his league and kind of expect him to, you know, like we said with Danny Holton, get guys out with pitches in the strike zone in AAA like you have to do? Yeah, he's, he's 21 years old. I think we underestimate how difficult it is for the Latin players who sign at 16. It's just so, so difficult because they're always so young for the league. They have to be protected after four seasons. One of those is short season ball, yep. typically. You know, So they really they only have three seasons under the belt, and they're 20 years old. So the, just the timetable is just sped up so much for these guys. Um, but you know, to your point, they did pump the brakes a little bit this year because when they needed they a did. starter – they went to Justin Grimm, who wasn't on the 40-man, and they brought him up. You're right. And he spot-started. And then Perez spot-started later in the season. They recognized that they did need to slow down as much as they could at this stage. You don't want to send a player backwards and hurt his confidence that way. Mm-hmm. But like you said, they he was on the 40-man. They could have already promoted him, and they, they skipped over him that first time, like you said, to give him a little bit more work. Uh, what's, what's the last piece of the puzzle in your mind for Martin Perez, that, for him to – Contributing a big league rotation for a team that obviously is a contender year in and year out now. It sounds like it's sequencing, you know, um, fastball command, fastball command and sequencing, working ahead of batters so they'll chase the changeup and the curveball. I also like the phrase that you use in the write-up where you talked about, you know, the two-seamer and the slider that he has now to work horizontally, not just vertically. It seems like unless you're elite at working in one in one of those two ways, you've got to have both. I think of it like, uh, what was the old video game I used to play? Uh, I think it was called Star Raiders, where you had X, Y, but you also had the Z. You, know? <laughs> you had that three, those three dimensions you had to work on. He was an up-and-down guy, the yeah. four-seam fastball and the curveball. Yeah. 
And uh, that, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm in Mets mode now doing their top 30, so I kind of forget some of these. Yeah, but that was a point that I read when I was doing a little prep before the podcast of that stuck out to me. We don't write about that too often, but that is the nitty-gritty of pitching. And that's a philosophical thing for a lot of organizations. They only want you working up and down. Forget the Z, just do the X and the Y. But he's got, well, I guess that's a, forget the Y, it's just the X. <laughs> but he has to have that, it sounds like, that horizontal movement. Uh, Especially to get outs early in the count. To, that's that's what that is. That's exactly what it is. You know, the slider and the two-seamer aren't necessarily swing and miss for him. Correct. But yep. they might catch a batter off balance and get a weak ground ball. You've hit on it. To be pitch efficient, to be pitch efficient and go up and down to work on the y-axis, you have to have Clemens or Schilling level command of the fastball. Hmm. You have to have a four-seamer. We're on a pitching philosophy tip now. <laughs> I've hijacked the podcast. You have to have a command of a four-seam fastball to the top and bottom of the strike zone, and especially at the top of that zone, you better have some velocity. Mm-hmm. That's plus at least, and you probably need to have some little life, little giddy up on it. We talk about the, you know, you hear the broadcaster talk about the four-seamer that hops. To pitch up in the zone effectively and efficiently, you have to have that. And the other, the other option is you have to be a physical horse like a Clemens or a Schilling so that you can do it year in and year out over and over again. Or you better have that horizontal movement, that fastball with a little arm side run or a little glove side tail for a right-handed pitcher, or obviously the opposite if you're Martin Perez. So you can go inside and outside, pitch to the corners, and like you said, that's where you get your weak contact. And that, that's the key. So if you're built like Martin Perez, you probably don't have the dur- the ability to be durable. Yeah, he's short, but he's, but he's pretty broad-shouldered. Uh, so I was watching some video of him. I was. That's why he got he passes those, the eye test. That's why he got those comps to Johan Santana. Yeah. I remember getting those comps yeah. from scouts in the Northwest League. He does have the physical Santana mm-hmm. comparison, a little bit more physical. He, probably. He might wear his jersey number too. I'm not sure. Does he wear 57? I'm not sure. Like a lot of Venezuelans. Like I hope he doesn't. Do. I hope he doesn't throw 133 pitches in a start <laughs> to finish up that no hitter. But that was glorious. That was uh, the moment of the year for the Mets in our in our almanac. Right? Yeah, you mentioned pitching up in the zone, and uh, that's what encouraged me about watching Matt Harvey's debut with the Mets this summer. He like he, he could go 95 upstairs and they couldn't touch it. See, and he has the physicality mm-hmm. to be the kind of guy who can do that. But he also used to be four seam up and the curveball guy. But that curveball has morphed into a slider for him, yeah. and it's an effective. It's a really nice, it's a nasty slider. So I like Martin. You're, you're warming me up on Martin. Hijack over. Yeah, hijack is over. But I like <clears> the <throat> fact that every time you talk about a prospect, you get me a little bit more encouraged about yeah. the prospect. That's good. <laughs> that, that's a good sign. Uh, you're selling me. Uh, we're on the Baseball America podcast with John and Matt, and we're doing a novel little draft from the three. And, and one thing to mention about this Seattle, Texas, Houston, these three farm systems, Matt, for me, these are all top five to seven farm systems in the game. Oh, yeah. All three of them, I think, are in contention for that number one spot. I don't think any of these are the number one farm system. But, I mean, these are three of the elite farm systems in the, in the, entire, uh, or in the, in the entire game, aren't they? 100% behind you, boss. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Aaron Finn impersonation of the day by, by Matt Eddy. Um, so we're drafting players from these three organizations. I've got uh, Tawan Walker, Mike Olt, and George Springer. Matt has got Jonathan Singleton, Danny Hulton, and Martin Perez. I like that there's a little... All uh, lefties. Give me the lefties. I like it. You, you love that in Strat, and you love it in, the, in, in these drafts. Next up is, uh, for, is my pick, and I, you know... I just have to do it. I, he's 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 uh, the the family is a personal cheese ball of mine. I have to go with Lance McCullers Jr. here. Um, 
I'm a believer in Lance McCullers. I, I think the worst case scenario is this guy clones his dad's big league career. And if you go back and look at his dad's big league career, especially in 1986 when I had him in my retro league, Lance McCullers Sr. was a badass big league reliever who threw 136 innings as a reliever in 1986. Nice. For the, he made seven starts that year, 63 relief appearances, and he was just awesome for the Padres before they were in Petco. I uh, had a couple of years like that where he was really good, 85, 86, 88, were his peak years. I made the playoffs in two of those three years. But um, Lance Jr., that's the floor. The floor is that he's a really effective big league closer slash like, you know, I, I would say closer because his dad mm-hmm. was a closer, but because it was a different era, he was a fireman. So he pitched like two innings or three innings at a time. Where have they gone? That's right. But this is a guy who, again, we, I talked to a scout in the spring who talked, said 280 pitches when you've seen him at his best. Yep. I thought there too many scouts this spring who said, oh, yeah, I saw 97 in the seventh inning of a high school game. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yep. I saw a 70 slider in the seventh inning of a high school game when he was 80, 90 pitches into it. So that kind of, you know, old – Lance McCullers Jr., you watch the video and you see, boy, not a lot of synchronization between the front side and the back side. You saw an athlete who just kind of powered through kind of an ugly delivery with strength and explosiveness. Mm -hmm. Now you still see strength and explosiveness and quick twitch, athletic ability, fast arm, elite level pitches with a, a delivery that's more under control. And I think he's three years away. But I think this guy's going to be a big league starter. I think he's going to be a big league front line starter. And I still think that there's a very easy fallback of him being a, a guy who pitches out of a bullpen with 96 to 98 fastball and a power slider. So he's not just a reliever, he's a closer. So I think that's a floor. I think the ceiling for this guy is pretty significant. So I, I'm taking him next. Good pick. He was definitely in consideration. Um, okay, so now I'm looking at. Leonis Martin, center fielder for the Rangers, and uh, I'll probably prioritize Nick Franklin here. Those would be my two guys that I'm picking from. Uh, I think I would take Leonis Martin. I think uh, that, that the si- you're chance the to be a 60 guy, hitter, 60 runner. He's not an elite defensive prospect in center field, but I think he's a 50-55. That was always the question with him was it kind of a tweener profile. Now yeah. we have a little bit more information on him. Um, and that's the, that's the big issue. Like, is he a center fielder? It, it's almost like it, they, it seems like teams treat center field defense kind of the way they do shortstop defense. Yes. If you're not a 60, in today's, you're not good enough. Yeah. I, no, I, I agree. That is <clears throat> that is the concern. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for excellence. I'm, it's more competence here. Okay. But I think uh, from a performance standpoint, he did have a fine season in AAA. He was among the leaders in average on base slugging. And uh, – uh, Oklahoma City plays in a pitcher's park. So I think you can boost his numbers a little bit and uh, have confidence that he will be able to replicate somewhat, at least the average and on-base components. I think the thing that I like the most about Leonis Martin, because there are things I do like about him. I'm not as on him as you are, but I do like the fact that there's not really a glaring weakness for this guy. There's no tool on the checklist that's below a five. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to hit 15 home runs in the big leagues, mm-hmm. maybe a few more, maybe in a, maybe 15 to 18 home runs. And he's probably going to steal 15 to 20 bases. It's possible. It's a power speed. This is a power speed guy. It's not elite, but mm-hmm. it is a guy who I think offensively has a chance to be at least kind of a, an Austin Jackson kind of guy. If not a mm-hmm. little bit more, and probably more consistent. Less defense, more right. offense. Right. But I mean, I'm just, uh, to me, Austin Jackson, he's not, they're elites, the elite center fielders in the big leagues. To me, obviously, Trout. Uh, I guess Harper, because he's a center fielder right now. But McCutcheon. McCutcheon. Those yeah. are the three guys I think. Uh, the two, first two guys I think of are McCutcheon and Trout. 
I mean, that's the ideal. Right. If you could draw up a center fielder, and I should throw Matt Kemp into the mix too, although he's bigger than the ideal center fielder. But those are the guys you, you want when you draw up a center fielder. That's the mold. To me, McCutcheon physically is the most logical one because Trout's a freak, and Kemp <laughs> is also a freak because he, he's so big. Mm-hmm. I think of Kutch. I think of that weight, weight, and then unbelievably fast hands. His explosiveness, the run, the defense. I I picture a center fielder in my mind. He is the prototype. He's the prototype for me is Kutch. Martin's not that guy, but in that next level are guys like Austin Jackson, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, who I, mm. I think is 2011's a fluke. I think mm. 20, uh, you know, I think a 110 OPS on base fast guy. He, you know, Adam Jones, who's the opposite kind of not a lot of on base but good power defense. I think Martin Leonis Martin would at his peak would be like at the back end of that second tier, not a star, but a really good center fielder, and that's hard to find. So that, that that's my yeah, and, and, the, and, and the Rangers can kind of phase him in with Craig Gentry next year, kind of do a platoon to protect him somewhat. Right. Um, so, can't stay healthy, though. So you've got Leonis. That, that's a big part of it. That, that's <laughs> why I knock him down a couple of pegs. For, for me, my next pick would be, I, I didn't realize I was uh, balancing out my pitchers in here, but I would take James Paxton next. He's next on my board. Um, there's still a chance that James Paxton is a reliever for some scouts. I was most encouraged by the fact that once he got over that knee problem early in the year, had the knee injury early, I think it was a right knee, so it was a landing leg. Um, had a month on the disabled list, came back, the walk rate was like 5-plus in the pre-knee injury and the time on the DL, and it was right around 3 afterwards. I still think he's going to be a guy that's going to have to go to AAA and, like we talked about earlier, learn to get out in the strike zone. But I believe in the quality of the pitches. Um, the front side deception is really an unusual delivery when you watch him, uh, watching him on the Rising Stars game or having seen him uh, previously uh, on video, uh, it's hard to get used to, but to me, it's still youngish for his experience level. Uh, somewhat fresh arm because mm-hmm. of the Canadianness and <laughs> the fact that he wasn't completely overworked in college the, at Kentucky. The American Associationist. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I do look for James Paxton and James and Tyone to be two of your main pitchers for Canada in the World Baseball Classic if their two teams uh, allow them to pitch for Canada. Um, but to me, I would go Paxton next because I just think it's hard to find. Uh, hard throwing lefty starters, and I think he can be uh, a three, number three slash four kind of starting pitcher. Where he doesn't have the command to be a one or a two, but he has that that front line stuff with mill the rotation command. Okay, uh, I think I am going to go uh, Nick Franklin here and prove and and give Connor the win here. Okay, for the Mariners. I think he is getting the win here. Uh, I'm looking at Franklin as a. Uh, Probably lefty hitting second baseman, maybe a shortstop early in his career. You know, has not done much right-handed right. as a pro, uh, but the lefty approach and the power is, is intriguing from the middle infield. I think he's an important player, Matt, where you look at what he can do, not what he can't. If you focus on what he can't do, you say, well, he's not ideal defensively shortstop. He fits better at second. He, like you say, he doesn't hit left-handed pitching very well. He, from the right side, he's been kind of a zero. But if you focus on what he does do, it's a middle infielder with pop. From the left hit. side. Yeah, so you know, I didn't mean to do this, but I drafted all lefties and off the trade for righties, I guess, <laughs> Just to balance myself out. That's my final pick. No one knows platoon uh, <laughs> platoon splits like you like you do. But uh, so we are giving. So we, how many Mariners did we take here? Five. Yeah, we took their, four Mariners. We took their top four. We took the top three Rangers and top three Astros. Yeah, that's it. So and Mariners won. I, I, and, and that's the thing that surprises me a little bit. I still I think the Mariners have a, the best top ten of these three organizations, with a, the battle to me being the, more I would actually rate the top tens Mariners 
Astros, Rangers, but I think the Rangers' depth is superior to both teams because it's it's young, it's athletic, and it's their up one the two middle. is the best. And their one two is the best. I would agree with that as well. But uh, I, I like the Mariners. I mean, I like the Mariners' top ten. Because I, I, I think their pitchers, I think they have a chance to have three impactful major league starting pitchers, and uh, I, I like and I like their middle infielders. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about Brad Miller. Brad Miller's a guy I keep on flip flopping all around on Brad Miller. He's intriguing. He makes a lot of errors, but athletically, he's like he's a guy who should play shortstop. Now, did you use their top thirty last year? Correct. Last Mariners. Year, yeah, the Mariners. No, or several two years, years ago. ago. Probably three years ago. Oh, okay, has it been that long? I guess Connor has been here a while. Yeah, I think after the Nick Franklin draft, oh nine. Oh nine was your last uh, Mariners thing. So <clears> I believe you, so. So when you when they had Nick Franklin, it seems like he's kind of been this profile, kind mm-hmm. of ever since then. Where like Cam plays shortstop, fits better at second. He's had a pretty fascinating professional career. There's part of me that thinks that I would almost prefer Brad Miller over him, but I can't, I can't bring myself to do that because Brad Miller just hasn't done it defensively at shortstop. You know. Yeah, I mean, you like the physicality better. Right? Miller's a little bigger than Franklin is. Franklin's yeah, kind of lean, more more in wrists than in necessarily strength. Right, right. So that's a good point. That's a good way to describe it. And Miller's a little unconventional at the plate as well. Kind of has the Craig Council nice. um, stance. Who does not love as Craig ex- Council? Not as exaggerated, Craig Council. But honestly, I think that comp fits a little bit. Uh, Craig Council did play shortstop. Eat your heart out, Jeter. Council was playing shortstop at age forty. That is shocking uh, that, uh, that he was doing that. I, who knows? Craig Council might wind up as your uh, World Baseball Classic shortstop for the United States. I mean, uh, who knows who's going to play for the United States in the in the in the World Baseball Classic? Who knows who's going to play for Japan or Korea? All the top players in those two countries are saying no. But I digress. I, I won't hijack the podcast in that way. Um, but the but the Mariners they also have. I, I think he was probably not in the organization. Maybe oh, I guess he actually was uh, drafted in 2008. Brandon Maurer, uh, their number six prospect, is kind of like. It's almost like he's the best pitching prospect that people don't talk about uh, in prospect circles, man. He's he's pretty intriguing. He's he's a strong a, point, a strong point for their top ten. Yeah, it took him a while to get to this point. I think he dealt with injuries and he spent a number of years in the low minors, but he's finally uh, blossomed to the point where they thought back then you know, it was more of an arm strength guy because he's right. like a 16th rounder or something. 23rd, 23rd, 23rd round rounder. pick. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it's good scouting and good development that he got into Double A this year and. Really isn't that far behind uh, Hulton, Paxton, Walker, and to me the big the number that sticks out for him from a statistical standpoint is four. You know, four home runs allowed and 138 innings. That again just tells you guys aren't making consistent hard contact against this guy. Um, you can take stats too far, but uh, to me, uh, I like the strikeout numbers, but I, I like the scouting report. But I love four home runs allowed. Uh, it's not. An, it's, not, it's a, you know when you look at their hitters, a lot of their hitters did hit some home runs in Jackson. Uh, you know Johnny Cash and and uh, uh, Roseanne uh, Cash, not Roseanne. Who was his wife? June Carter. June Cash. Carter. Yeah. They love Jackson, but I, I think the Mariners <laughs> also love it from the fact that it's a fair ballpark. But I, I don't think that's the only reason why Brandon Marr uh, only gave up four home runs. Um, I do want to. Uh, you, you did the Rangers top thirty, so I want to delve into that a little bit more with you. Um, this is an organization with a pro- very productive Latin American program, and had a very exciting, high upside, high risk draft. Uh, this year, what was your take on just like it, it? It seems like from number three through number say fifteen, eighteen in their farm system, you could shuffle those guys. Those guys, when you we do a grade and risk factor, they're going to all be pretty similar. If you were to take, uh, I know the way that we like to do it <laughs> is uh, 
you can there's a sliding scale that we use where like a, a guy with a high a higher grade and a low and a but a high risk is almost equal to a guy with a lower grade and a much lower risk. But they seem like they're almost all well, how many mediums and lows do you even have in their top thirty? <laughs> I mean like I gotta think Mike Holt's the only low. That'd be a great great way to look at it. Um yeah, some of the guys who finished just outside the ten uh, Rugnet Odor, a good second base prospect in uh, low A. Uh, Lewis Brinson, first round pick. Uh, granted, back of the first round. But high ceiling, uh, toolsy, lanky, athletic. Cameron Maven is the yeah is the comp that makes a lot yep. of sense. Um, uh, and then they have a guy like uh, Nick Tepish, yeah, righty with a good slider and good good field to pitch, who's in Double A and he could contribute next year. A guy who's always been. Uh, to me, he's another uh, great sign of the Rangers' ability to develop pitchers because he was a guy who was a tease in high school and in college at Missouri. Missouri, right? I think he's a Missouri yeah. guy. And really started to put things together in 2012, uh, finished the year in A and was quite good at Myrtle Beach. So I think that's another pitching prospect that we don't talk that much about. Plus, plus his name is Tepish. I've always thought that was a, <laughs> a fun name to say. But he, he really kind of broke out this year. I think so. Um yeah, and and they have plenty of power arms. They have Wilmer Font, Roman Mendez. Those guys are all in Double A. Big fastballs. Uh, Mendez has a good breaking ball. These are guys who could help this year, uh, this coming year. And then uh, it does another thing that the Rangers seem like they have a lot of, and this is what I think most organizations wind up with when they draft or when they're very active in Latin America and very successful in Latin America. They have athleticism up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like. Um, whether it's guys like Luis Sardinas or Hanser Alberto or Rugnet Odor, uh, you know the, the up the middle, the shortstop, the middle infielders, uh, I think are a little bit easier to sort out. But they love Jorge Alfaro, Matt, and he's like he's a contentious prospect because this is a guy with a lot of sevens. It sounds like mm-hmm. on the scouting report, but he just doesn't. He frightens me, frankly, with that that strikeout to walk. What's the explanation on Jorge Alfaro, and what's the quick summation of him as a prospect going forward? Uh, plate discipline. <laughs> That's that, the summation. No catcher in the in the Sally League struck out more or walked less. I mean, there might be one one guy ahead of him, but essentially, that's the point. Is he's at the extreme of both uh, in in a, in a bad way, but he's uh, also a contender for the best athlete in the system. Uh, the, the Rangers you know, love his swing, obviously. Uh, somebody who needs to learn to uh, stay back and, and concentrate on areas of the zone in which he can do damage. Trust his hands, weight all on balls, stuff. all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's your opinion on how uh, you know how how much can that be learned? How much of that's just innate, and how much of that can be learned? I mean, the guy just it was 18 to start the year, turned 19 during the year. Do you feel like you know in your experience of evaluating prospects, can a guy like that? get better? I mean, or is this going to be a toolsier, more athletic version of Miguel Olivo? Yeah, catchers are really tough to project because there's just so much that goes into it. Uh, I would expect that he's always going to have a lot of power and a lot of strikeouts. I think the walk rate is the one variable, you know. Okay. He's probably always going to be a 20% plus strikeout guy, you know. One in five times he's going to strike out. He's just too, he's just too aggressive. And, and, and I, that can be toned down, but it seems like it's extremely rare for that to be toned down totally. You have to be yeah. really elite player, an elite hitter like that, a Vladimir Guerrero. And that power is going to have to come to the fore, you know, in order to accept those strikeouts. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I see a catcher like this, and especially a Latin American catcher who's that aggressive and that athletic, 
I think of Manny Sanguian. <laughs> going way back. Olivo comp was good, too, because he stole bases early in his What was the other comp? Olivo. Oh, yeah, Miguel Olivo. Career, he, he could run a little bit, too. See, I, the problem is that Miguel Olivo is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Jorge Alfaro is that bad, but like I'm looking up Vladimir Guerrero right now just for the sake of argument. And like even in 1996, uh, his big year where he broke through to double A, uh, at the double-A level at age 21. So even at age 19, at comparable age, he walked. He was in the Gulf Coast League, and he walked as much as he struck out. And then the year I saw him in the minors in Albany, Albany, Georgia, in 1995, he only walked. He only struck out 45 times. He walked right. 30 times, but his control of the strike zone was good in the minor leagues because there wasn't any pitch you could throw that he couldn't hit. Right. He even walked more than he struck out in 1996. So. I mean, I'm trying to think of hack pretty good. fantastic guys. Yeah, pretty um, good. You know, so to make it more contemporary, uh, Will and Rosario with the Rockies, I think Alfaro blows him away in terms of athleticism. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, that might be a similar line of production. You know, maybe a little yeah. more on base. That's intriguing. But uh, you're looking at a high isolated slugging, essentially. I, I, that's a great way to put it. The, the power and then the, the thing that to me that stands out with most with Alfaro, besides the strikeout and walk numbers, is just the explosive athleticism. Mm-hmm. It's very rare. Have you ever had an organization where the catcher was in contention for best athlete? <laughs> Maybe Jason Kendall back in the day. I don't know. Yeah. I, can't, I can't think of anybody. I can't think of anybody either. And that, that's what stands out. I guess the other thing is how good is he defensively as a catcher? Is, is the bat? Is there a chance the bat is so advanced that he winds up in right field and doesn't catch because catching is hard? He is precocious, and he does have explosive power potential. Uh, he actually played third base as an amateur before he switched to catcher, so he's he's new to catching. Uh, I would say third base or first base would be more logical possibilities if he doesn't refine his uh, his, his catching. Well, he he just he's to me he's the most boomer bust guy in their whole system. Yeah. Have a system of boomer bust guys, and then they have Joey Gallo, who had to be really tough to rank Matt because. That's an explosive debut with 22 home runs mm-hmm. as a high school player in, you know, 200 at bats and change. Um, at the same time, it's another big strikeout to walk uh, deal here. I mean, it's just a, that's a, how much of a constant is that in the organization uh, with their young hitters? <laughs> yeah, they they certainly uh, draft for ceiling. Uh, Gallo, you know, might have ranked higher if 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 we had more confidence he was going to stay at third base. Okay. I don't think anyone had sold on him. Necessarily playing third base down the line. I agree. So if he's first base, right field, you got to take that in consideration. And, um, and and he also has one of the best arms in the system of power yeah. arms. <laughs> I mean, he he would have been one of their harder throwers. I, I you know, between Justin Grimm, Luke Jackson, Cody Buckle, I think it might, maybe they pronounce it Buckel. Is it Buckle or Buckel? Do you know? I think it. Uh, how the Rangers? Buckel. Buckel. Okay, I like so. that better. Uh, we'll have to ask JJ how to not pronounce it. <laughs> Whatever JJ's pronunciation is, is the one that we'll. Well, we'll I said Bukel we'll in the kind of, uh, kind of a strained silence on the phone. Bukel. Okay. <laughs> that's it. So now we know it's not that. <laughs> so we know that's not him. Um, and Te- Tepish is their next starter. Those four guys after. So they have five starting pitchers in the upper levels. Guys who've pitched at least in high A. Um, and Perez, Jackson, uh, Perez, Grimm, Jackson, Buckle. Or Bakel, mm-hmm. and then Tepish. Is there someone I'm leaving out? Because that's an impressive group. Because mm-hmm. all those guys throw kind of hard, uh, have some strikeouts, have some knockout pitches. That's a, that's a pretty good group. Yeah, all double A or higher, as you mentioned. Except well, Jackson's only in, in high A. Luke Jackson, the, the, he's the one who, again, he, to me, he personifies their boomer bust. 
Now, 65 walks is a lot of walks. Yeah. Uh, it's a four-and-a-half walks per nine inning type of guy. They're convicted, though, that he's going to start, right? Uh, yeah, for now, you know, the delivery is, is a concern as well. And that's it's a high-energy delivery certainly, is a good way to say it. Yeah, certainly not. Uh, you, know, you look at the walk rate, and you look at the chance of starting based on his delivery and his walk rate now. You know, you, you'd be fair to question. Okay. I, I, I like that farm system. I think that their ceiling of their whole system is the most explosive uh, in the in the division. The Baseball America podcast with John and Matt, uh, we just wrapped up our I, – I, I like that exercise. just shows that, again, the, these are three – I think the perception in the industry and among our readers, Matt, is that the Rangers are far and away the best farm system. I, I do think that the deepest system of these three – I think it's close between Texas, Houston, and Seattle. And I think it's telling that you have uh, an American League West that has three very three of the game's elite farm systems. I think it's going to be a competitive league, competitive division going forward. Um, I do think that Texas is still the best combination of good major league roster, very good farm system. Obviously a big question going forward with uh, Josh Hamilton. Yeah, and the two top prospects will be top 20, you know, right. maybe top 15, right. depending Absolutely. on what you do with Ults. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, the Astros, Astros are going to have some guys pretty high in that top 100. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I, have a, I, I think they're going to have at least six guys in the top 100, maybe seven. Jerry Cozart, seven. We're going down through DeShields and Cozart? I think Fulton, Nevich, DeShields, and Cozart all have a shot of being in the top 100. They're not all – none of them is a slam dunk. Maybe DeShields is the most slam dunky, but I, I like Mike Fulton, mm-hmm. Um Obviously, I rank them the highest, but – I feel like their system also, all the way through 12, with I think 11 and 12, Domingo Santana and Jonathan Villar, those guys are top 10 in most organizations. So I went Nolan Fontana because I think Nolan Fontana is safe, and I love Nick Tropiano. I'm on the Tropiano train. Um, Maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. I love a a guy with, you know, he's actually kind of one of those pitchers we talked about earlier where he can throw his four-seam fastball up in the zone and then work down with both a split and a changeup and he commands the four-seam fastball well enough up, and by throwing the four-seamer more as a pro, he's really seen the velocity spike uh, as a pro, and he's maintained it, you know, pitching at 92 to 95 at times this year. Uh, to me, that's a that's a dude. He's a I think he's a very safe bet starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Nick Tropiano quite a bit. Rio Ruiz was a little bit of a more of a going out on a limb, ranking him at eight, but the the Astros certainly have strong conviction to use that word again. And his hitting ability, but that, that's a good that's a good farm system. Yeah, really encouraged by DeShields' year. It's a good rebound from what was a terrible year before. It was a that's terrible. It's a, a good sign to see. It was a terrible year, and it was you know we talked about this in last year's podcast where Bobby Heck's contention was that it was harder. And I, I even wrote a column basically saying that their hole was so deep that they were digging out of that it was harder to evaluate the job they'd done digging out of that in that. All their prospects have been pushed at least a level further than the, ahead of where they needed to be. Take a guy like a Ross Seaton or Delano DeShields or Mike fulton both of whom the latter two mm-hmm. repeated Lexington this year, repeated the South Atlantic League because they needed to. They were not ready for it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of those pro- some prospects sunk under that weight. Jay Austin, whom they released. You know, I, I and I, I think I wrote I would have done it a little differently if I had been in Bobby Heck's shoes, where they desperately needed athletes and ceiling, so he drafted heavily for that. I think their college picks weren't good enough to build in around those guys, and to me they needed to go, you know, the, the Mike Kwasnikas and the Brandon Barneses and those kind of guys didn't work out well enough. I know Barnes got to the big leagues, but that's why they were so bad, because they really just 
they had so little depth, you know, they just didn't they just didn't draft well enough to have just good organization players to make life a little so you didn't have to put Fultonevich mm-hmm. or Tanner Bushu or some of those guys the full mm-hmm. season ball before they were ready. And it's yeah, always C- fun to say Tanner Bushu. Seaton and Jordan Lyles are probably the the extreme examples I always think of when when thinking yeah. of what you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. And Seaton finally you know, responded some this year, and basically his. Bobby Doran is another guy who's kind of – was a college guy, but a similar uh, similar kind of pitcher. But, you know, Ross Seaton finally had his – he had his best year this year. He finally got to repeat a level. And the only the only real strength he could really have pointed to in the last three years with Ross Seaton was he took the ball every five days. He was durable. He threw a lot of innings. And he pitched in a very harsh environment. Lancaster, like every a year. year and a half? Or uh, long something like Lancaster? that. But every year he was one of the youngest pitchers in his league. He did pitch in Lancaster a couple of years. He'll still be in the 30, but – you know, that's a guy they used to count on. Now they don't have to count on him. And, he's, on, he's on the 40-man. He's on the 40-man. He was, thank Jesus for being on the 40-man. That was one of the best quotes I saw last week was, he thanked the Astros and he thanked Jesus for being on the 40-man roster. So being on the 40-man roster matters, doggone it. Yes, sure um, does. We've got a question in our uh, on the Twitter, on the Twitter machine, as I like to make stupid jokes about. We'll take this quick question and then we'll move on to the other organizations, uh, the Athletics and the Angels. Um, but the question was from Johnny Garcia, uh, and he wants to ask, how has the perception of, of Victor Sanchez's ceiling changed after his turn in Everett? I guess the answer would be he's in the top ten. So you read the future, you know, Connor Glassy writes up, future number three starter, and, uh, you know, six foot, 255, that is a typical build for a top ten pitcher, uh, especially for a guy, as you said, who's supposed to be <laughs> 17 years old. Um, so next year he'll be 18. Uh, headed the full season ball. Uh, the track record of the Mariners' international signings is pretty solid. They're they're pretty good at developing international pitchers, uh, developing all kinds of pitchers. Really, uh, I'm thinking of guys like Erasmo Ramirez most recently. Yeah, uh, he's a good example. They've had some success. Michael Pineda. The hitters have been more hit or miss, but absolutely. But Pineda, Campos, Sanchez, guys like that. Yeah, they've they've hit a little bit more on the pitchers, so <laughs> that that's a good reason to give them some some. Uh, Cut them some slack, have some faith in a guy like Victor Sanchez. But he sounds like a guy who has precocious size, velocity, and some level of fastball command for a 17-year-old getting ready to turn 18. So uh, putting him in the top 10, I think, is a pretty big vote of confidence for a guy of that build at that age. So sure. to me, that, that explains the ceiling uh, argument. Now let's go on to the Angels because you've done their, you did their farm system uh, top rankings for a few years. One thing that changed was you aren't doing them anymore. Another thing that changed is that they aren't going to have Tom Kochman's prospects to, to kick around anymore to prop them up. Um, this is just a bad farm system, and it's an organization that has really uh, – it's been such a very uh, – I'm trying to think about what was the last organization that was so uh, desperate to win. It's almost like they're the uh, the Tigers and the owners' desperation to get back to the World Series, and yet they're – Unlike the Tigers, they're not having success with it. They're, they get, they've gotten worse, it seems like, the last three years, uh, both at the big league level and at the minor league level, despite Mike Trout, despite signing our pools. What's the deal with these guys? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, they haven't really been able to, to bring in the impact talent in the draft, it would, it would seem, these last few years, you know, setting Trout aside in 09. That's the pick, you know, of, of the last 20 years. So, no doubt. Uh when you look at some of the other guys they've they've gambled on, Randall Grychuk, 
He's okay. I don't think he'd be in many many organizations top ten. He's number five here. I agree. You'd rather have him be like in your eleven to twenty range and say there's some upside here, but we're still waiting for the polish to to catch up. I mean, CJ Crone. I don't think he'd be three in a lot of systems. Correct. Um, it's it's just stuff like that. You know, you they, they, don't, they don't have a Latin American program to speak of. That's a big issue. They they tend to draft college players at the top of the draft. So. And they tend to pick at the back of the draft because they've had a successful major league team. So it's kind of a recipe for low ceiling. It is. Uh, you look at their top picks of the last decade. R.J. Alvarez was a third rounder this year. I actually thought they did pretty well with their draft this year, considering how low they picked and what their, yeah. their signing bonus pool was the lowest in the game because they had a first rounder. True. C.J. Crone. I like C.J. Crone, but he's a one bay. He's a first base D.H. Mm-hmm. And when you're projecting in the major league roster, you have Pujol signed for ten years. You have Kenry Morales, and you have Trumbaum, Mark Trumbo. I know. They've, yeah, they've already got three regular first basemen on the Major League roster. It's and odd. This is what troubles me. 123 RBIs? I think it might have led the minors. It was close. Yeah. 17 walks. 17 walks. is uh, Hey, he, 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 uh, he he's going to get him over and get him in. That's <laughs> CJ Crone, I guess. But that that is a Jesus Alfaro-esque total <laughs> without the Jesus Alfaro upside as far as the athleticism and defensive value and all that, it's tough. It's tough to see that guy ranked third in their farm system because uh, he should be 10. These, these are first-round picks they've made recently. That's, right. You know, that's the only reason I'm... Cowart, we like Caleb Cowart. I think probably in their whole farm system, he was clearly the, the big... Uh, he, he made some real gains. But that 2010 draft, Matt, uh, you were doing their farm system at that time. That is a really a tough draft. They're gonna they could look back on and be like, wow, we really had a chance that year, and it did not come together for them. Caleb Cowart, Cam Bedrosian, Chevy mm-hmm. Clark, all in the first round. Supplemental picks: Tyler Lindsey and Ryan Bolden. Second round: Daniel Tillman, Wendell Soto, Donnie Roach in the third round supplemental. So in the first 115 picks, the Angels had four, five, six, seven, eight picks. They've already traded what Roach. For Freire. Um For Freire. So that's great value. That's good value. Good return. But Wendell Soto, not in the top ten. Daniel Tillman, right, or is he? Uh, no, he's no. not. Daniel Tillman, not in the top ten. Ryan Bolden, not. I don't think in the 30. Last I heard, he was learning to switch hit and instructs. Ryan Bolden? Uh, last I knew of him. Last year. I don't know if I remember my passwords. I don't know if I can even look at our, our write-up on him, but I did not like that pick one no. bit when they took it. I mean, it's easy to say now, but we didn't hear great things on Ryan Bolden. He was not a consensus supplemental first-rounder. Taylor Lindsey has hit, but he's an offensive second baseman. He's kind of like a Ryan Kennedy type. Not Ryan, Adam Kennedy. Adam Kennedy. I compare every second baseman who <laughs> doesn't hit right-handed to Adam That's Kennedy. That's not a bad comp, actually. Of course it's not. It's a great comp. That's why I use it so much. I love that comp. If they get Adam Kennedy, they'll be thrilled, I think. But Chevy Clark, definitely not a consensus top 30, I mean, top 30 pick. Absolutely not. And Cam Bedrosian's already had Tommy John surgery and, and came back this year, year and was brutal. He was terrible. It was brutal. So when you had that many picks, Matt, they thought that was going to be the draft that would carry their farm system for a while, and it ain't happening. It does not happen. That's the reason their farm system's not good. Caleb Cowart needs to be Chase Headley, essentially. You know. Great. That's a great way to put it. He does. Man, Chase Headley. You love Chase Headley. But I good do. reason to love Chase Headley. You've always been on Chase Headley, but... I'm just looking through the rest of this draft. Outside of eighth rounder Cole Calhoun, who is in their top ten, is he not? Wow, we moved him out of the top ten. Oh, no. I love Cole Calhoun. I know. Uh, Well, he's not in there either, but he's already been to the big leagues. 
But there's not anything else coming from this from this. Draft. AJ Shugel, five starter potential. I think, I think is he AJ yeah. Shugel? He's okay. Where, where's he from? Uh, Central Arizona JC. I think uh, John converted Wheat- Joker. John Wiedenbauer, nope, released. AJ Shugel, conversion guy. He's got to be in their top thirty somewhere. Oh, he did have a nice year at yeah. Arkansas. Look at that. Yeah, he's a good command guy. Good for AJ Shugel. Uh, I seem to recall right having written him up in the draft one year. But I don't think I did it. I, don't, I didn't do Arizona in twenty ten. Anyway, it's just not a good system. What's the? Is there any saving grace you can give to any Angels fan? Any uh, lifeline of hope you can give those guys? Oh, they might resign Granky. <laughs> there you go. Well, they traded Segura for, so I mean that would be. They kind of have to pull out of the stops to, to sign him, don't they? I would expect serious contention from the Dodgers. You know, I don't know who else is in on Granky, but. I think uh, the ticker last night while I was watching North Carolina get blown out by Indiana said that CBS Sports was saying that the Angels think they're out and that the Dodgers and the Rangers were the big bidders. And that would be devastating to lose them out to the Rangers. Yes. Um, But I also think I would not tie my fate to Zach Greinke either. That's a tough call. In the Angels' shoes, though? You kind of have to. And then there's the question of Jared Weaver's velocity backed up a little bit in 2012. Had his first injury. You know, he was drafted eight years ago, so this guy's probably 29, 30 years old. He may, be, he may have seen his best days. So what's it's the rotation tough. if they don't re-sign Heron? Well, I think they still have a year of Heron. I could be wrong. No, he's a free agent. He's a complete free agent. I so it's wrong. going to be Weaver and Wilson and, and Garrett Richards. <laughs> Jim Callis has faith in Garrett Richards. Nick Mirande. Clevenger, I don't know. They've, I mean, they, they have signed Billy Billy Buckner and JoJo Reyes as minor league free agents. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I love it. I, you know how I feel about JoJo Reyes. I am not a, I'm not on that train. So yeah, it's tough. I, I, I see decline in with the Angels. It's very possible that Mike Trout's going to play on a lot of mediocre teams. Uh, last year's team wasn't mediocre. They won 89 games, and they were fairly dynamic at times. But their bullpen problems and that awful start kind of doomed them. But uh, the the hole that Tony Regan's helped dig is still there, and that, I think they're going to rue that 2010 draft for a long time. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's an excellent point. Yeah. I, I, I think they're still you, drunk on the on the pros, prosperity of Trout in '09. Yeah, and 2010 was brutal, and uh, that that draft is going to be a. It's not the money they spent; that's a drop in the bucket. It's the fact they had opportunity to add impact players. And they missed it. I, I they just absolutely missed it. And uh, so, good luck, Jerry Depoto and uh, that crew. And I, I have a feeling that if 2013 is not a better season at the big league level, there can be some big time changes in uh, in Los Angeles. So, Oakland, there've been no changes there. No change outside of losing Grady Fusan and JP Richardi. It seems like it's all the same jokers who run that uh, who run the ranch in Oakland. It's, uh, uh, now they did just lose Gil Patterson. Their pitching coordinator left the organization to go work for the New York Yankees, whom he pitched for in the major leagues. Um, so that's that's going to be a change, and we'll see what happens there. But they've changed pitching coordinators before. Rick Ron Romanic was the guy before, and I'm sure that they'll find a, a, someone to replace uh, Gil Patterson. I know they already have, and I'm, I forget his name. Um, but I, I still think they'll throw a lot of cutters, you know, in <laughs> Oakland. Um, but this is also a farm system, Matt. That uh, you know, you, you look back at 2009, and uh, not, I'm not just picking just on the draft, but, but Grant Green, they took Grant Green in that draft. Uh, and, the, you know, the A's are one of the teams that say, oh, we were on Trout, but um, I don't believe most of those teams, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I Really, I don't. But that's a, that, this, is a, this is an organization that it, it's a thin farm system still. 
And some of their guys took some real steps back in 2012. Grant Green did. Michael Choice did with striking out a ton before he got hurt. It was at 88 strikeouts and 359 at-bats. That's a that's worse than Jesus Alfaro again. Or no, it's not. I guess it's about the same. The Jesus Alfaro line. But Brad Peacock, I was all over Brad Peacock last I year. Know. I love this guy. I hope it wasn't just a case of the Nationals trading high, because I thought Peacock was a for sure mid-rotation guy. I, I love the athleticism, the quick arm, uh, the, the way he finished the big leagues. I know it was only two stars. I, I was all in on Brad Peacock. and International League managers loved him last year. I remember we got glowing reports. Yeah, because he was really good. <laughs> and it just seems like, uh, again, a guy who pitched up in the zone too frequently – if there's any organization that's going to try to teach you to go side to side, it's the Oakland A's and Gil Patterson. You're going to learn a cutter, so uh, maybe that'll work out for them. Matt, what's your take on Dan Straley? That's the one guy I really, you know, um, but a side note, if you look at the A's top ten and you look at their uh, signing scouts, uh, Matt Ranson signed Dan Straley, signed Sonny Gray, signed Matt Olson. Matt Ranson, formerly their area scout, uh, the wide-ranging area, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, previously I think he had Kentucky, West Virginia. Um, Matt Ranson has left the A's organization, promoted, uh, got a better offer from the New York Yankees, and he's now a cross-checker with the Yankees. I forget, wow. Southeast, Midwest, I forget where, where, what Matt's area is. But um, left his mark on the A's top ten and signed Dan Straley as an amateur. But Dan Straley guy wasn't even in our top 30 last year. Pick up the cutter and didn't just get to the big leagues this year, led the minor leagues in strikeouts. In a year, the first year in the last three, where no one in the minor league struck out 200, and there wasn't like a dominant minor league strikeout guy, but Dan Straley blew away the field. What's your take on Dan Straley? Is 2012 going to prove to be the fluke, or is there some? Does he have some legs? It looks like he's almost going to be who we thought Brad Peacock was going to be. Yeah, maybe you know, he's the guy who's going to step in and just be a 180 inning horse as a young pitcher, and then maybe a 200 guy eventually. I'm I'm, I'm interested to get your take on Straley because it sounds like you. I have my doubts have on Dan doubts. Straley. I do have my doubts. Um, you cannot knock what he did in the minor leagues. I mean, 190 strikeouts and 150 plus innings is there's no joke there. Um, to me, it just seems like if you, you're you're checking off the boxes. It's a lot of 50s and 45-ish curveball and that kind of thing. And I just don't see one put away pitch for him. It seems like it was the sequencing. Um, I, you know, it feels like the ceiling for him is fourth starter. I would have said the same thing. I would have said fifth starter for A.J. Griffin. And he had a tremendous big league debut. And kudos to A.J. Griffin. But to me, Dan Straley is more in that vein. He's more A.J. Griffin than he is Jarrett Parker or Brad Peacock. So I still like Peacock better. We obviously rank Peacock higher than Straley, which I think will surprise people. I guess I'm just not a believer in Dan Straley. I am a believer in Sonny Gray, despite the fact that he had a pretty modest year, and especially the strikeout numbers were fairly woeful. Uh, but to me, it seemed like it was a year of experimentation for Sonny Gray. Push comes to shove, I could see Sonny Gray being that bullpen, being that wipeout closer. Scouts, when he was an amateur, always had that thought for Sonny Gray. I love the makeup of Sonny. I love the breaking ball. I'm in Does on Sonny Gray. Does it remind you of Houston Street in any way? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. If you talk about short, shorter right-handers with good breaking balls. He doesn't have Houston sideburns. There's one. <laughs> but anyway, now that got creepy in a heartbeat. But no, I, I really I, I like Sonny Gray. Uh, I don't know that I think he's – I think he could be better than Houston Street as a closer. He's got better stuff. He's got a bigger fastball, so he should be better. Similar makeup as far as no fear um, and, and outsized confidence in himself. Uh, that should serve Sonny Gray well. 
Um, the other divisive guy in their top ten for me, because we went upside over and not performance at number three, A.J. Cole, four, Brad Peacock, five, Sonny Gray. Mm-hmm. The other intriguing guy to me is Miles Head. Um, we went back-to-back with performance guys there. And, now, Miles Head's a guy who, again, the strikeout of the walk is a little unsightly, but he's right and right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing first baseman, basically. There's some thought that, yeah, you could play him at third base. Basically, he's as good a third baseman as he is at the plate. Like, if he hits, then he's a third baseman. If he doesn't hit... He's not a third baseman. You're going to say, okay, well, let's move him to an easier position and see if he hits there. But he's a tough guy to believe in, too. Mm-hmm. But I have talked to scouts who do believe him because they think he has really special hands. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what your take is on the the six foot, 215 pound, and I think that's generous in both categories. Right hand hitting first baseman. Yeah, he's just a guy who's got to prove it all the way up. And, you know, he is up through high A. You know, he'll get another crack at, to, to improve his double A line next year. I don't think anyone's expecting. You know, his, his scout sheet to have 60s all over it. But the fact that guy is ahead of Grant Green, though. That, that's true. That's pretty bad for Grant Green. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I like Grant Green. I remember talking to him at the uh, 2010 Futures game about all the Southern California players there. And, you know, I've, I've always liked him as a prospect to an extent. But I do remember he had that huge summer in the Cape Cod League that I think really uh, – he's one of those guys where I just think the Cape – Matters too much to some teams and to some scouts. He hit four home runs the next spring in yep. for Southern California. That told me a lot more. That was than, still with the livelier bats, right? Yeah, that was the last year of the lively bats in 2010 or 2009. And that spoke volumes more to me than the fact that he raked in the Cape in 2008. And when you saw people comparing him to a blend of Troy Tulowitzki and Evan Longoria, which people did in the Cape Cod League in the summer of 2008, I called BS on it at the time. I remember telling Jim Callis that there was just no way. There was just no way. I had done scouting reports on Grand Green at a high school, and all the question at that time was on the bat. And now he's not fulfilled those lofty uh, uh, expectations from the Cape offensively. And he's regressed defensively, or as a guy in college who was thought of as a one of the better defensive shortstops in college baseball, and the guy's going to be a shortstop to wear down. He's like a super utility guy. And to me, the most telling thing, Matt, is that here's a team that was in contention and sent down Jamile Weeks at second base hmm. in, like, August, and Grant Green was never a consideration. They played Adam Rosales. That's true. They, pl- they went out and traded for Stephen Drew and moved Cliff Pennington, whose yeah. only value is his defense. But they took Pennington and put him at second base. Grant Green was never a consideration. That's and a great was, point. And this was his protection year. Yep. So they had every, they had no reason not to put Grant Green. And they had no problem turning base. to rookies in general. Exactly, except for the fact that they just didn't believe he was the man for that job. So, and not and conspicuous by their absence, I suppose, are the tw- t- late twenties brigade of outfielders of Michael Taylor and Jermaine Mitchell, both of whom were in consideration to still be in this top ten. And to me, just Sacramento should have a great lineup next year with <laughs> Michael Taylor, Jermaine Mitchell, Grant Green, uh, maybe Derek Barton if they still have his right. Do they still control Derek maybe Barton? Maybe Cliff Pennington. Yeah, maybe Cliff Pennington and Miles Head. We'll probably get there. Yeah. Um, but I don't see any of those guys as regulars. Do you see any of those guys as regulars? That's tough. Um, Pennington was a regular. I'm not really considering him. Pennington's the best out of that group. They would pretty, they'd pretty much need an up-the-middle profile to be regulars. Yeah, I don't see I don't it. know if Mitchell and Green can fulfill that. 
And Choice is just dicey. I mean, like, how far down on the Rangers list would Michael Choice be? Just glancing at his report that this is a guy who does have the mm. capability. He does have, a, I think, the classic right field profile. And he could play center field for in certain teams, yeah, certain situations. Some clubs would, would prefer him to Al- Jorge Alfaro and Joey Gallo, don't you think? I mean, those are all kind of apples to apples. I think some clubs would. I think the majority would not. And the majority would believe in him over Gallo because my sense during the spring was there was a lot of doubt about Gallo's ability to make adjustments at the plate and the, the future swing and miss there. But in terms of tools, Alfaro and Gallo have it all over Michael Choice. I think Choice has some good tools. I don't see any sevens or certainly any eights. And Alfaro, doesn't he have eight arm strength? He has yeah, like it's 70 raw power. Way up there. Gallo is probably an eight eighty raw power. Mm-hmm. That's not Michael's choice. So I think Michael Choice would have a hard time breaking. I, th- I I can tell you that Michael Choice would have a very hard time breaking into the Astros top ten. And he, and I I would take Domingo Santana over him. And I would take uh, Villar, Jonathan Villar over him. I forget who my 13 is in the Astros, but I might take him over Michael Choice too. No offense to anyone with the Oakland Athletics. I know they believe in Michael Choice. I've talked to them about him. I just don't share that conviction or faith. So. Well, maybe returning Choice back to Arlington would, would unlock the missing That's it. potential. Maybe that would. I do. I should like my UT Arlington hitters. Uh, Ryan Roberts had a nice big league career. Hunter Pence, of course. Pence. Mark Lowe. Man, there you go. Who hit. knew? Southland Conference representative or whatever conference they're in now. That would be a future podcast where Aaron Fitt and I rail on conference realignment. But any last American League West thoughts, Matt, that you did not get to express? I, no. Okay, guys, I, I tried to, to – I, I know in a podcast – I'm going to generally talk more when you're on the podcast than I am when J.J. is. J.J. tends to rival me for words per minute. But uh, I, I want to make sure that, that you get to say what you want to say. But I like the exercise. We may have to repeat that. Um, and other divisions, and if you have feedback for us on the uh, our little American League West draft, uh, send them in to us at podcast at baseballamerica.com, or hit either one of us up on Twitter. And don't forget tomorrow, we will have this uh, this trial run with our Google Hangout, our Google Plus Hangout, and uh, talk some more Rule Five draft. Format Eddie, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. <laughs>